Welcome to The Father's Heart with Tom Clark, better known as Papa Tom. Good morning, this is Papa Tom at The Father's Heart Talk Show. And I have with me a special guest today, Rivera Dalfit. And you probably, maybe most of you listening today have not heard her name before, but you'll be hearing a lot of her in the next couple of months because she has an anointing for what she's doing. And um, our paths crossed in our journeys through life. And I realized that um, Rivera has a special uh, purpose that God has used, and she has a father's heart. So she's going to be running for political office, lieutenant governor of the state of North Carolina. And um, that's going to happen next year, 2024. However, this opportunity is not going to be for her campaign. This opportunity is to get to know the heart of Rivera. And Rivera has a father's heart. Now, I know my audience must be asking the question, how could she have a father's heart because she's a woman? Well, don't go there with that because God is not gender specific. She's a daughter of the Lord, and she's very gifted in a lot of different ways. But most important, besides her gifting, which we'll go into in a few moments, we're going to understand her heart, which is most important, is a heart to protect, to provide, and to mentor the next generation. And she definitely has a heart for children. And that will come out in this conversation. So with that in mind, I would like to mention a few other things about Rivera. Uh, She's a mother of two. And she has written two books, and the third book is on the way. I don't think the th- third child is not on the way, is it? Mm, no, no way. <laughs> <laughs> well, two books, and the uh, third one on the way, and the mother of two. Uh, she's a wife. And um, spiritually speaking, uh, there was a woman in the Bible named Esther. Um, many of you may not be familiar with Esther, but she was a queen. I guess she was a hottie, and I guess that's uh, also Rivera could be... Uh, I shouldn't use that word, Holly. She was she was a beautiful woman. I should use that term. My wife will get bad at me if I say that. <laughs> but she's a beautiful woman, just like Esther. And Esther was the queen. But the most important thing about Esther was, besides being Jewish, she was born for a time where she could influence the government of where she was in, which was that uh, Persia at the time? Mm-hmm. I believe it was Persia, modern-day Iran. Mm-hmm. And at that time... Her people, which were the Jews, Hebrews, Israelites, they were under tremendous pressure at that time. And they had no one in government authority to relieve their condition. And so Esther was brought out from God and she became queen because she could speak into the king's ear. And it changed the entire trajectory of Israel's journey. And that's a place where the similarity is with Rivera. She's born for a time like this, just like it was said of Esther, and she was born to influence the government. So let me introduce you and say a few words to our audience, Rivera, about what your relationship is like with your own father. How'd that come about? With my own personal uh, earthly father? Yes. Oh, I have a wonderful... Uh, relationship with my father. Um, my dad is uh, one of my dearest friends, and he he's my biggest um, champion. He champions me in everything that I do. So uh, he was, I think he was telling people that someday I would run for office before I even knew that I would. So, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I'm very close, very, very close to him. I'm a daddy's girl for sure. Well, that's fantastic. You know, I have six children, 15 mm-hmm. grandchildren. And I tell my children, and I'm going to be telling my grandchildren, my grandsons, when they're looking for a wife, find out what relationship the prospective fiance has with their father. Mm. Because if she has a good relationship with her father, it's going to be easier for you to relate to her as a husband than mm. it would be if she didn't have a relationship with the father. Yes. So I'm so thankful to hear good that point. you had a good relationship with your father. Can you tell the audience a story about some exchange that happened between you mm. as a little girl and your dad? How old were you at the time and, and what happened that allowed you to see how much your father loved you? Hmm. Well... I have several little stories that are popping up as you're asking me that question. Uh, one, two, two things come to mind, and they're both at, in in the water. It's interestingly enough, and we know water's symbolic sometimes of spiritual things. And yes, but um, I re- recall him standing on the side of the pool, you know, um, inside the water, asking me to jump in and asking. He, he would say, I'll, I'll catch you. Mm-hmm. And I was afraid to jump in the water. He would say, I'll catch you. It's okay. You can trust me. I'll catch you. Mm-hmm. And I'd jump in, and he would catch me. And that's the beginnings of how I learned to swim and not be afraid of the water. And then I recall... And to trust. And to trust. That's a very important yes. thing, to learn to trust your father. To learn to trust. Sometimes he let me go under just because he wanted me to learn to be okay in the water. Mm-hmm. but And I would say, Daddy, you didn't catch me. And he would say, yes, I did. I meant to let you go under, you know. So this was a um, learning mm-hmm. lesson. Um, and then I recall also being in the ocean with my dad, and he was helping me learn to float. And, mm-hmm. he'd, and he would put his arms up under me, mm-hmm. lift me to the top of the water and say, relax. Mm-hmm. And then he would say, now I'm going to remove my hands, but I'm going to be right here. And it was just the only way to learn to float was to completely relax and trust that my dad was not going to let me go under right. if I started to sink. And so there's something in the relaxing and in the trusting that went hand in hand. So no harm would come to you. So no harm would come to me. Did you know how to swim at that time? I didn't. I mean, I, not that I recall. I was right. very young. So so floating was the first yeah. process before you got to learn to swim. Yes. You had to learn to float. Jumping first. in and floating. So mm-hmm. my dad was, uh, you know, I think I think of those things, and I think this was the foundational moments that, you know, were so impressionable at that young age of sure. maybe five, six years old. And mm-hmm. so these were the moments that were foundational to me, uh, trusting my dad and trusting um, jumping into something or being bold about something or, you know, that my dad's always championed me to to, mm-hmm. to not be afraid. And right. I, you know, believe him in all of that because of those foundational moments. Did you have any other brothers and sisters? I did. I have a younger brother. A younger mm-hmm. brother. Mm-hmm. So you were the oldest. Yes. So there was two children in your family. Yes, two children. And you children. have two children, too. Yes, yes. But you're the oldest. You're your daddy's girl. i daddy's girl. All the way. All the way. <laughs> I love my mom, but I'm a daddy's girl for sure. Did you know that in most uh, families, mm-hmm. uh, because of the presence of a father... 
that a father's words, 85% of the time, will give their children, whether it's a boy or girl, doesn't matter, their uh, identity. Yes. It comes from the words that a father speaks. Mm. So if your dad would say, Rivera, you're a great swimmer. Yeah. In your mind, you think you're a great swimmer. Mm-hmm. Whether you were a great swimmer or not, yes. you probably would become a great swimmer because your dad encouraged you with those words. Or whatever he said to you. Yes. He says, you, you are good in school. You are beautiful. He would think you're beautiful. Yes. You know, and what? he did say those things. You yeah. know, he, he definitely used his words to push me forward. You know, my oldest daughter was named Deborah with mm. an H. Deborah. There you go. With the H of Yahweh in the last part of her name. And yes. uh, God spoke to me one time to talk to her because she was always concerned about the way she looked like. And so I said, Deborah, the most important thing is you have a beautiful heart. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is you have a beautiful mind. Mm. And the third thing is you have a beautiful face. And she realized to put the heart first, yes. then the mind, then what she looked like. So um, we need to take a break here in a, a few seconds. And with that, we'll come back with Rivera Dalfit who's running for Lieutenant Governor of the mighty state of North Carolina. And we'll be back in a moment, and we're going to start sharing more about who she is in the Lord. We are back with the Father's Art Talk Show. And we're discussing with Rivera Dalfit her relationship with the natural father, and now we need to transition to a relationship with her spiritual father, mm. or actually God the Father. And because I knew I was going to have this um, interview and discussion today, I wore my special hat, make <laughs> God Father again. Yes. It's not like you can make God do anything, <laughs> but it really has to do with us. And making God Father again is making that relationship paramount in our lives. And we find that the word intimacy can be broken down into three syllables. Into me, you know, four syllables. Into me, you see. Actually, five mm-hmm. syllables. Into me, you see. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you want to develop as a human being and you want to find your identity, you can only really find your true identity in God. Mm-hmm. He's the only one who can really tell us who we are. Oftentimes, he uses our natural father to help us understand our identity, but ultimately, it's the God, our father, who created us that tells us and shows us who we truly are. And the only way you really get there is through intimacy. So I find it very, very interesting Mm -hmm. that Rivera wrote a book, and the title of the book is Intimacy with the Lord. Mm -hmm. So share with our audience, Rivera, the background of that. What was it? that motivated you to write that book Mm. in the first place? Uh, Well, it was obviously my intimacy with the Lord personally. Mm -hmm. Uh, This was a compilation of stories, really, and scriptures that intertwined with those stories to to make a a point in each chapter. But um, the Lord wanted me to write intimacy to really break off the mindset of religion Hmm. to introduce people to the idea and the the truth that he really is seeking a relationship with us and not just religion, that uh, he is into the, the details of our lives. He is and wants to be involved um, intimately with us. Mm-hmm. And 
So that book was written back in 2012 and came out in 2013 with that in mind. Um, so, yes, it's true. Our identity cannot, we, we cannot know who we are until we know whose we are. We have to have a relationship in order to know our Father in heaven and know whose we are. <coughs> and then as the more we get to know him, the more we become more like him, we start to realize that, that our mannerisms, as they are with our own personal earthly fathers, mm -hmm. that our mannerisms then begin to become more and more alike because we're made in the image of God. We're more and more like him the more we get to know him. When Jesus asked his disciples and said, who do you say that I am? Mm -hmm. And they reached out and said, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the mm -hmm. Baptist. And some say you're uh, Jeremiah, I think, was the third prophet. And Jesus looked them right in the eye and said, I'm not asking what other people say that I am. Mm -hmm. Who do you say that I am? Right. And everybody stepped back except for one. It was Peter. Mm -hmm. And Simon Peter steps forth and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus looked him right in the eye and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. Yes. But my Father in heaven, Father reveals who we are. Yes. Father reveals who Jesus is. And one day, the mighty question of the ages will be for every person, who do you say that I am? Mm. Yes. Right? When we leave this earth, the question is going to be, who do you say that I am? Right. And where are you going to find that answer to that question? Right. It's from the Father. And it only comes from intimacy, right? Only comes from intimacy. Yes. So tell us a story. Share with our audience uh, one of the stories out mm. of that book, mm. uh, Intimacy with the Lord. Well, interestingly, you were asking me about my earthly father. And my earthly father had some heart issues uh, as I was writing this book and, and the, the stories were being compiled over several years. One of the stories I included in the book was about my father being in the hospital, my earthly father, and um, having an issue where they we thought we would lose him. Mm -hmm. And there were women in the waiting room with us that entire time because their father was there as well and mm -hmm. husband. And they had... Um, uh, relationship with God to pray in a way that I'd never heard anyone pray in my life. It was like when they prayed, it was like all of heaven stood still. Mm. And uh, I had been a Christian pretty much my whole life since mm. I was seven. Um, but I had never heard anyone pray quite like those women prayed. Mm -hmm. And when my dad went into this thing where we thought we would lose him, and I was an ICU nurse, so I was there and I picked up on it and I was running down the hall, mm -hmm. bringing people in, bring the crash cart, you know, getting, trying to get everyone, the nurses in there. And I, and I turned and saw those women in the hallway. And as I was running by, I said, pray for my dad. And they prayed and, and, and you could feel the presence of God and immediately uh, someone had gone into my dad's room, run back out and said, he's awake, he's, he's, he's responsive, it's okay, you know. And so I saw an immediate response to a prayer of faith that my, my father in heaven heard the prayers of the righteous because they, we know they availeth much is what the Bible says. Sure. These women were powerful in their faith and in their prayers, and my father, my earthly father, was going to be okay. 
And that was a moment in time where I said, uh, I want that kind of faith. I want that kind of prayer life. Hmm. I want to know. Uh, and and thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that mm-hmm. uh, you hear and you answer quickly. How old you would this happen? This I was a young woman. I was twenties. Yeah, twenties. And you were the ICU. I was working. Nurse. Yeah, I was an ICU nurse in the at very the time. hospital where this was happening. No, it wasn't in the same hospital. Well, I was in Northern California at the time. My oh. husband's from there. We moved there for a short. For 10 years, okay. I was there working. My father here in North Carolina. I see. Yeah. But you knew because yes. you were an ICU yes. nurse, you yes. knew what was going on naturally. Oh, absolutely. And you mentioned it was a heart problem. Was it a heart attack? Well, or? he no, he had had a heart surgery. Oh. And they, he was in a step-down unit at this point, mm-hmm. um, had come out of the ICU. But I could, I knew from just from observing that things were not quite right. And then I stayed and he ended up. Coding, we call it, you know, code blue. Um, they had to, he went unresponsive. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, but he, he was fine. He did. I mean, I like, I don't even right. know what happened except that God just, you know, even medically speaking, I can't tell you exactly what happened. He just was, res- he went, right. he was unresponsive and he, then he was responsive. And isn't that the, the nature of what God does that he's the resurrection Absolutely. and the life. You know, he's faithful, he's true. And the resurrection, you know, mm-hmm. I, I witnessed the resurrection resurrect my father. Mm-hmm. You know, the mother of all fears, I believe this to be true, this terminology, the mother of all fears is the fear of death. Mm-hmm. It's out of the fear of death that all these other fears come upon us. And when you're uh, confronted with a life or death situation, mm-hmm. and you saw that that was the issue there with your mm-hmm. dad, mm-hmm. he's in ICU and he's just had this heart operation, mm-hmm. it's a life or death issue, mm-hmm. right? That oftentimes we um, think about our lives uh, in terms of whether we're good or bad. And really we need to look higher than that and say it's not whether we're good or bad, but life or death, mm-hmm. right? And life comes out of the relationship we have, out of intimacy with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And death comes to us when we don't have that intimacy. Mm-hmm. So, Yes. Would you like another story? Sure. Love to. So uh, I'll just share quickly. In my early 30s, I, you know, I, my entire life since I was seven, I had been in church. I'd known the Lord. I'd walked with the Lord. And even this moment with mm-hmm. my dad had pushed me closer to the Lord. But I'd been in a... In a church setting that was rather, I'll just say, you know, there was just a lot of religion. There were a lot of do's and don'ts. And at, at this point in my life, in my early 30s, late 20s, early 30s, I began to question, you know, I was lining up the the uh, list of do's and don'ts and the whole religious mindset with God and I was, you know, associating God with those things mm-hmm. rather than associating Him for who He really is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went through a little season of, of rebellion, and this is really my, my, my story, my personal story. But there was this season where I turned my back on God. Mm. And I'm not proud of it. It's not something I love to talk about, but it just is what it is. And thankfully, it didn't destroy you know, everything that I knew or my marriage and all my relationships, it did not. But it was a season. It was the matter of my heart, right? It was something I was walking through. And the Lord was so faithful. I, I 
there was a moment in time where I was really at my lowest point. And in this last, it was a very short-lived season because I belong to the Lord. And when you belong to the Lord, you can't get away with that without being convicted, without um, being miserable, really. Right. Because uh, rebellion and, and the, the Spirit of God don't can't dwell in the same house, right? So you're miserable, and you have to get you have to get somewhere fast with that. So, but the Holy Spirit, I felt the presence of God in my bedroom one night. So tangible that there had to have been, if I could have opened my eyes in the spirit to see, I think Jesus was standing there or there was an angel or of the Lord or some something standing there um, from heaven. I mean, it was very clear that the presence of, of the living God was in there with me. And there was a conversation that took place and he said, Rivera, you're my beloved. You, I've chosen you. I have, um, I have plans for you that you won't even be able to believe or imagine. You can't even imagine, Mm -hmm. but where you're headed and what you're doing isn't, isn't going to get you there. You've got to turn to me. You've got to trust me. Mm -hmm. You've got to know that I'm not religion. I'm not religion. Mm -hmm. I am I'm your father. I love you. Mm-hmm. And that was a turning point for me. He wooed me. He he drew, pers- you he drew me. Himself. He pursued me. Right. And in that moment, it was like uh, just such a moment of repentance and mm-hmm. um, sorrow and turning back to the Lord. Yeah. My oldest daughter, Deborah. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of tattoos, by the way. Mm. But my oldest daughter, Deborah, when she was in college, was feeling like away from things. I mm-hmm. tell. Yes. And then when she came back from college one day, I saw a tattoo on her wrist. And the tattoo said, beloved. Mm. So she reminds herself that she's yes. always beloved of the God the Father. That's what I have on my necklace today. There you go. Beloved. We'll be back in a moment. Rivera. <laughs> We are back with Rivera Douthat, and she was sharing with us from her book, Intimacy with the Lord, which was book one. Book two is Zero Gravity, but we were focusing on intimacy with the Lord, and she was recalling, recollecting stories that she wrote in her book. And uh, by the way, where can you get, where can the audience find your book? It's available at Amazon, if, and if you're ever on my website, of course, that directs you over there as well. What's your website? My website is Rivera4NC, the number four, nc.com. Or if you look up Rivera Douthat, you're going to find RiveraDouthat.com, which is the ministry website. Okay. And then you can also find the book by using your name. Yes. Or Intimacy with God, I guess. Yes. It, it actually, you mentioned Into Me You See. It's actually called Intimacy, tagline Into Me You See, and the the U is capitalized because it's obviously God the Father that's seeing us. See, I didn't know that. Yes. But God did that. Yes, he did. So um, we were talking then about the new stories that God is currently writing mm-hmm. for you to share. Maybe an intimacy you see part two. The right. new book you're going to be writing right. is about what God's doing in your life right now. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to, you to share with the audience what happened that motivated you or is motivating you, it's current, it's present, mm-hmm. for uh, seeing that you have an anointing and you're being chosen by God to run for political office. 
and you have an anointing that God gave you to run mm -hmm. as an Esther mm -hmm. of this day, which was Queen Esther for her people. Mm -hmm. And um, so share with the audience the background of that, what's happening between you and the Lord that's bringing you to where you are at this moment. Well, if we fast forward from where I left off at that story and then we go and I had children and I stayed home with my children, um, left nursing career uh, mm -hmm. as an ICU nurse. And then I became um, a minister and ministered to women for many years. And the the center, the core of that was inner healing and wanting women to be healed, saved and delivered and just really set free, you know, mm -hmm. because of my experience. Yes. I wanted all women to know the love that had encountered me in that room. Mm -hmm. um, so then we fast forward past those years and we realize that and I've written these books and introduction to intimacy and to the Holy Spirit. And now he has me writing a small booklet about identity. And we know that identity is we're in an identity crisis in a lot of ways in our country and in the world where we're at an all time high of, of young people and even children uh, questioning who they are, how they were made, or how the Creator made them, mm -hmm. how God uh, created them, and whether that it's it's right. And and of course, mm -hmm. we who know the Lord know that He doesn't make mistakes, um, and He uh, everything He does, He does with perfection. And people are fearfully and wonderfully made. So that's a something that is a part of my heart now uh, to to talk about why I'm running for office or mm -hmm. to lead into that. It's really for that. The essence of it is that it's, mm -hmm. it's that people need to know who they are mm -hmm. and there is an agenda. I'll just call it that. Whether we want to say it's the leftist, the left far left agenda or whether we want to call it, uh, evil. The, the uh, evil. Yeah. Evil for what it is. Yeah. It's evil to uh, steal, if you will, the identity of people and the destiny of people. And I think that, you know, the stealing of destiny is probably one thing that grieves God's heart more than anything is when, when He has created someone for a purpose mm -hmm. and they do not get to live out that purpose. Mm -hmm. uh, that, I think, grieves Father's heart. Okay. So um, this is why I believe he's calling folks just like me right now to step up and to step out, to be a voice for the voiceless, to be a voice of truth, and to uh, step in uh, these spheres of society, if you will, whether it be education, entertainment, uh, or government, whatever it is, to, uh, to be a voice of truth in those places. To represent Him, to represent, right? Mm -hmm. Representing God is really representing Him to the world, right? Mm -hmm. So we're called as Jesus followers to represent Jesus to the earth. And so He's sending me into the government to do just that. And to govern not in this earthly sphere, the way we've seen government being done. And yes, there's a system. There's an earthly system. 
But governing what we know God is saying, what's on the heart of the Father, we know Jesus would get alone with the Lord, and He would say, and He would say, "I do what I hear, we see my Father doing, and what I hear my Father saying, that's what I say, and that's what I do." That is how God is asking us to govern, mm-hmm. and um, so He's sending someone who, uh, in such as myself who has maybe been faithful in the small things mm-hmm. to govern well, to hear his heart and to move accordingly. You may already be familiar with this, just to repeat it again for our audience's sake. Uh, Dr. Lance Wallnow mm. uh, brought up the issue of seven mountains of influence. Yes. And one of those mountains is governance. Yes. Or the government. And uh, the scripture tells us that God is government. Yes. In Isaiah, I think it's either 33 or 43, he mentions that uh, he is the king. Yes. He is the lawmaker. Yes. And he is the judge. Yes. And our founding fathers knew that they developed three branches of government based upon Isaiah, Mm -hmm. which God was just saying that the three branches of government would be the president or would be the king, the executive Mm -hmm. officer. Yes. Second one would be the judge or the Supreme Court. Yes. And the third one would be the lawgiver because this is the legislature. So those same three branches of government were given to us. Our founding fathers realized it and they they structured uh, the Democratic Republic, Mm -hmm. emphasis on republic, of the United States of America for uh, we the people, yes. so that the government, right, would be for the benefit of the people, rather than switching the tables and the people serving the government, right, right, which is what we, our condition is right. at the moment. And we also find that evil, and the word evil actually means that which is not right. Mm-hmm. Evil gravitates to politics, mm. and evil gravitates to politics because that's where the power is. That's where you, the power and control over people's lives operates through government and politics wants to control the government. Well, and I, the Lord, you know, I've run from this for years um, and hadn't wanted to go into politics simply because I hate politics. Mm -hmm. The word, you know, politics. I I do too. (laughs) It turns me off. Mm -hmm. Um, So I said, Lord, I don't want to do this. Uh, I'd rather not, you know. And And he explained this to me. He said, politics is one thing. Governing is another. There you go. They're two different things. So I'm asking you to go into government to govern for me. You don't have to get involved in politics. And so that is partly what I'm running on is that I'm not a politician and never have been and never will be Mm -hmm. for that matter. But but governing, yes, I can do. Mm -hmm. Well, government, again, relates back to God. Yes. Politics relates back to the evil one. (laughs) Exactly. It's just, yeah. And he explained it to me that way. They're very two very different things, which is why people are turned off by politics. I find that when people, even if they don't know the truth and they maybe not even agree with it fully, if they hear the truth, their spirit knows the truth when they hear it. Mm -hmm. And so people are going to hear what we just said. And they're going to know it in their spirit that that is right. Right. It's a similar thing with religion. Mm-hmm. God hates religion. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it interferes with our personal, his personal relationship with us, his children. He wants us to have a relationship with him and not some kind of, you know, yeah. organized, structured thing right. that actually interferes with that relationship. The other point is he is much more interested in the relationship he has with us over our behavior. Yes. He look, w- he's more worried about our character exactly. than our than our behavior or, right. or our 
Well, when the relationship is right, the behavior follows. Yes, yes. You know, he's more he's more worried about. This is all I've always said. He's more worried about my character than my calling. Mm-hmm. So he wants my character to line up with my calling. Mm-hmm. Um, so I agree with you. In uh, understanding our calling, yes, and our destiny, mm-hmm. or let's specifically say your calling mm-hmm. and your destiny, you share with me one time that probably the most important thing that motivates you is to protect the children. Yes. So share with our audience where that motivation comes from. Well, I think it's straight from the Father's heart. I think this is, you know, the Bible says that those who cause a child to stumble Mm. would be better off to have a millstone wrapped around their neck and thrown into the heart of the sea. True. So... uh, we know that there's there are many agendas coming, evil agendas coming to steal the children, to steal their identities, to steal their destinies, to steal their gender, to steal their minds, their hearts, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And even their security or their sense of security. Who can they trust? Who can they not? Can they even trust their own parents, right? Like a lot right. of, you know, there's just a lot uh, coming at them. Pornography in the libraries. This is ridiculous, you know. If we can't read it in a public square, we shouldn't be giving it to our children to read in private. Sure. Like, and so these are the things that are on my heart that I think is on the father's heart, that he wants someone to step up to save the children. We have in North Carolina, uh, Mark Robinson is actually a lieutenant governor that's in place now, has already been forward. Mom- there's been a forward momentum mm-hmm. to create some safeguards for the children. That is definitely on my heart. And uh, something your highest priority. It is my highest priority and something that I would take the baton, so to speak, and continue the forward momentum to protect the children for sure. I could say that it's not just you think it's on the father's heart. It absolutely is right, on the father's right. heart. Right, right. And it is, um, it, you know, this is for now and for future generations. What we're doing now is going to affect the future. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, you have evil starting with 50 years ago, mm-hmm. trying to stop children from being born. And there were times in history when he tried to do that. Back in the time of Moses, we tried to take away all the kids because he knew there was going to be a savior of the of the Jewish people, mm-hmm. and he, he knew it was coming. So he wanted to stop Moses from being born. Mm-hmm. That, then you had Herod doing the same thing at the time of Jesus. Yes. Right, to roll the clock forward another 2,000 years, mm-hmm. and he knows this generation is a generation of Elijah's coming forth. Yes. And he wants to stop these children from being born. Yes. So in a moment, we're going to go back and revisit this uh, situation with the children, starting with uh, pro-life mm-hmm. and then moving on to the other things where these attacks are coming. From. Yes. And so we uh, uh, appreciate so much. Uh, I appreciate actually meeting you, Rivera, and having conversations with you before today and now even finding out more about you. And how much that I agree with you, because it's not my agreement with you. It's that I agree with what you're saying is biblical. Mm. And it's the Bible that's the thing that's the uniting glue between the two of us Mm. and the Father's heart. Mm. And that's why you're on this show today. Thank you. We are talking with Rivera Dalton, and we were discussing the issues of her desire to protect the children. 
And as our audience knows, who's been listening, that the mission statement of the Father's Heart Talk Show is Malachi 4.6, bringing the hearts of the fathers to the children, the children to their fathers, mm-hmm. lest they smite the land with a curse, and that curse is fatherlessness. So in the context of that, we want to bring up the issue, because it hits it right on the head, of the pro-life and the pro-choice situation. It's ironic to me that the people who are evil, who are promoting uh, pro-choice, are doing it on the basis that that's freedom. Mm. A woman's right to choose mm-hmm. is uh, what's being promoted in theory. But in actual practice, it's completely different than that. Because a person once said to me, it is really horrible that one human being will kill another human being, but it's even more horrible that a mother will kill her child. Right. And so with that in mind, I want to turn it over to um, Rivera and ask her her position on, uh, which I already know what it is. I bet you can guess, audience, what it is (laughs) on pro-life and pro-choice. I'm uh, definitely a pro-life woman. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think there's any other choice or any other way. Um, A woman (coughs) is designed by God to mother. Mm -hmm. It is an innate thing in every woman to want to be a mother. doesn't matter where she stands on her sexual preference or any of those things. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, women innately want to be mothers. Mm -hmm. And God has put that in us. And we have been... uh, I I always think of even the going back to the the preamble of our um, declaration where it says, we hold these truths to be Mm self-evident, that all human beings are created equal. Mm -hmm. God has endowed them with certain inalienable rights, which means those rights are unmovable, Mm -hmm. unshakable, irreversible irreversible rights by God Mm -hmm. of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's the end of the story for me. Mm -hmm. Life. God has given every human being life, and it is not ours to take away. Mm-hmm. So women would say, well, it's my body. It's my right to choose. Yes, it is your body, and it is your right to choose up to the point of conception. Mm-hmm. And at the point of conception, then it becomes your responsibility as a mother. And your innate heart of a mother that God has put inside of you, whether you know him or not, mm-hmm. then that becomes your responsibility to care for that child up to the point of birth. It is then your responsibility to birth that life. It is, a, it is not just, I mean, it is amazing that women are created to birth life. Mm. Men can't do that. Right. Men are not given the ability to bring life into the world. Mm. But women actually partner with the Almighty to bring a life into the world. Absolutely. And this is a great uh, gift, privilege and gift. Yes. And we are not to take that lightly. Mm-hmm. So to me, I was asked by a police officer recently, whom I just met, and he said, where do you stand on the issue of abortion? And I said, quite frankly, sir, I do not believe abortion should even be in our vocabulary. It shouldn't be optional. Mm-hmm. This is a life like any other life mm-hmm. that God has created, and he has, he has created us all equal, right? Mm-hmm. All human beings, and these babies in the womb are human beings. Mm-hmm. 
I'd like to give a definition to a Supreme Court justice of a definition of a woman. Mm-hmm. A woman is a man with a womb. Right. Or a human being with a womb. Right. It's her womb that defines her as a woman. Yes. Um, and yes, it's it's the bringing forth of life uh, in her. You know, in my personal experience, when I've talked with the women over many years, I used to be in the financial planning business, and occasionally I'd get couples that would uh, come to me that didn't have any children. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to have children, but they were older. Most of the mm-hmm. couples I interviewed were Mm-hmm. past 60, 65 years old, they were doing retirement planning, things like that. And one of their greatest regrets in life was they couldn't have children. Mm-hmm. And invariably, when I talked to them, I'd find out, when it got a little more intimate, that the woman had had an abortion. Mm-hmm. And the abortion had destroyed her capacity in her reproductive organs. She usually had an abortion before she was married. And then later, she got, when she was a teenager or mm-hmm. early 20s, then she, later she got married, uh, then wanted to be a mother and couldn't become a mother mm-hmm. because something happened to her reproductive mm-hmm. organs. And then further, whenever I've had conversations with women who had abortions, and you might concur with this, I've never met a woman who later on in life, 20, 30, 40, 50 years later, mm-hmm. that was not scarred psychologically. Right. And it's, it's it's presented to women that abortions are for women's health, mm-hmm. which is craziness to me. It's not yeah, for their health. It's, it's such it's, a lie. It's so twisted. Such a twisted. Deception. Yeah, deception and lie that this no good is ever going to come out of this. Mm-hmm. Not only for the child, obviously, who's not going to live, but even more, mm-hmm. more so or as much so for the mother. Right. Who's going to be scarred psychologically for the rest of her life this happened. They even have nightmares. Right. You no. know, well, 40, I've, 50 years later. Yes. I've ministered to women for many years, and part of that has been an emotional healing, you know, ministry and uh, asking the Lord to heal these women. And one of the biggest things that women bring to the table mm-hmm. that they're scarred over is the, the emotional trauma of having had an abortion and living with the aftermath of that, mm-hmm. the guilt, the shame, all those things. And of course, God can set people free from that. He's He's a forgiving God. He, he can forgive and heal and, and totally eradicate all of that. And I'm not here to judge a woman who has had an abortion. You're, ju- you're uh, here to help them um, over- um, get past that. Yeah, get past it and move on from it, be free from it. And live a life of freedom in Christ, Mm -hmm. but also um, to say to the women who have a choice Mm -hmm. that 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 it is not their choice to that it should not ever be their choice to to kill their own child Mm -hmm. in their womb. You know, Jesus once said, and you know the story, uh, for God, Father, forgive Mm -hmm. them. for They know not what they do. Right. And that's the same thing for the people who are crucifying him that he prayed for them. Yes. The same thing for women who have abortions. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Yes. And there is forgiveness from God the Father's heart. Yes. For every woman that has ever had an abortion, Mm -hmm. that he will forgive them. Yes. And they need to know that. Yes. And I think that those, again, back to the stolen destinies, I think that's something that grieves the Father's heart Mm -hmm. when an abortion happens is that this is a a created being that he has put in the womb um, personally, you know, regardless of the circumstances around that, Mm -hmm. God chose to give that baby life. And then when that life is taken, that is a human being that had a destiny, that had a purpose. Mm -hmm. 
uh, a God-given destiny that they did not live out. Um, That's true. Um, in addition to the abortions, which is you know attack on the children so they won't be born, mm -hmm. I find this next issue, which is been political, mm -hmm. which is transgender mm -hmm. and gender dysphoria, right, as being another issue where evil is perpetrating itself on um, on women. And years ago, when I used to listen to transvestites or transgender situations, mm -hmm. it always seemed to me that they were older and they were usually men transitioning to women. Right. From my recollection 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, people like uh, in their 20s and 30s who thought that they were, uh, were physically born with an XY chromosome and were a man, were trying to change their bodies into being a woman. Today, I see the age dropping to even earlier than 10. Mm -hmm. And then also seems to be shifting from boys to girls. Mm -hmm. This transgender movement seems to be more focused on younger children right. and more girls than boys. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I think we can see from all of this that, it, that this gender issue has been uh, politicized mm -hmm. and it's being used as a weapon almost to steal the children, to, sure. to come target them at a younger age. Mm -hmm. um, it's even infiltrated our schools, which should never have happened. Mm -hmm. uh, teachers shouldn't be talking. They should be talking about math and history and uh, obviously more than they need to be talking about the sex of a child. Um, so this is a, a weaponized, politicized thing that we're talking about here, but it all boils down to the fact that we're living in a time where the spirit of this age is an anti-Christ type of spirit, an anti-God spirit that we're dealing with. It's evil. And, you know, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Um, but to really steal the identity, like we said, and the, mm -hmm. and the destiny of these children, um, why more women than than men? I, I don't know that I really have the answer to that, except that women can reproduce. And so if you're going to target girls and target women, you're targeting the reproduction. You're targeting uh, these people, these evil people that want to do these things. And I'm not saying we can't love transgenders. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not saying that I don't love people because I do love people where they are. And so does the Lord. But um, this this agenda, I'm talking about the evil that's behind it, the deception that's behind it. Uh, it is meant to really to steal, kill, destroy, and to really take out humanity in a way. Absolutely, to that, take out creation. That's that's it's, what evil. That's where evil's going. If we want to lay down the biblical foundation for it, mm -hmm. that human beings were made the image and likeness of God. Uh, Human beings were God is a creator. Mm -hmm. We were able to procreate because he was a creator. Mm -hmm. God told us to be fruitful and multiply. Satan cannot reproduce. Right. He does not have any reproductive organs. He does not. He hates us. LBTGQ, LBTGQ, I think that's pronounced. And um, uh, 
the uh, transgender movement is to mutilate our reproductive capacity. Right. So that we're no longer functioning as procreators like made the image and likeness of God, but we're merely made more like in the image and likeness of Satan. Yes, which it, it's so it's such an evil agenda. That's completely it's total anti God, anti Christ agenda, anti creation, hmm. anti anything, uh, humanity, life, anti life. Right. It's so anti all of those things. Right. And it's really to come against creation. Creation and. To depopulate the earth. Yes. And then from depopulation to control the rest. Yes. So you can come see us at um, Facebook at papatomsales.com or wsicnews.com forward slash the dash fathers dash heart.